And most parents, including myself, would gladly have it that way. That makes it hard to wrap our minds around how a mother this past week uh, had her little 19-month-old baby, baby girl, run out into the middle of the street to get run over by a CTA bus, killed instantly, about eight minutes from my house. A neighbor reportedly said, I heard the mother screaming and crying, my baby, my baby. I'm certain that I'd go to bed that night just hoping and wishing that it was all a nightmare. And I'm sure that that mother would love to hear some doctor say, see, thy child liveth. We also want our children to live in an eternal sense, not just a physical sense, but in an eternal sense. I'm talking about their salvation because they're all born spiritually dead. It was said of the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 2, 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Regardless of how cute they are, they all come the same way, spiritually dead. A good parent prays daily that their children will get saved at an early age, become partakers of eternal life, become partakers of the divine nature. We want them quickened by the Holy Spirit of God so that one day we can hear from the throne, see, thy son liveth. But tonight, I don't want to dwell on them living physically. A good parent would rather them be dead physically than live for the devil. Nor do I want to preach on the miracle of them getting saved at a young age and living eternally in heaven. Tonight, I want to look at the raising of the widow's son and draw application to the fact that God wants our children to grow up And have an abundant life. Do you want your child to have a life after they leave your house? Luke 9, 24 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. By the way, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. They were all saved except for Judas. And to save people, he was saying, you can lose your life. You can be saved and not even have a life. Is that what you want for your children, to not even have a life? Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. They can be breathing and not have abundant life. They can be saved and on their way to heaven and not have this abundant life. You can give them all those rides to school backwards and forwards. You don't even want to know what I spend on gas to get mine back and forth to school. You can spend all of that money on rides and those kids not have this abundant life. You can pay all those tuition payments and them not have this abundant life. They can become experts on the horn and grow up and not have this abundant life. They can have cute little bows in their hair and grow up and not have this abundant life. They can even win a a, a wrestle-o-rama match and grow up and not have this abundant life. And as a parent raising little children, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to have this abundant life 
of service to Christ. And in that sense, I want to one day here see thy child liveth. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father, would you be with us just now? And Lord, bless the message and use it to be a help to parents. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This child in our passage was dead and was able to live again. This child was also the first person in the Bible to come back from the dead. Elijah was hiding by the brook Cherith from the hands of Ahab and was drinking from this brook. And the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then he was directed by God to stay with this widow woman in Zarephath. The widow's son was there and he got sick and died. The Bible says there was no breath left in him. God's man prayed for a miracle. And a miracle was performed. That boy lived again. Now there's some challenging things here for parents to remember as we seek to have harmony with the teachers in this fine school. And may we have some serious parents here tonight that would long to one day hear, just like we read at the end of verse 23, see, thy son liveth. First of all, I'd like to look at the proving. The proving. After prophesying that the drought would come to Israel, God's servant Elijah is going through a proving process. A proving process that would help him, as God's servant, learn to depend on God. God tested his faith. He used famine in the life of Elijah. Elijah, can you live without the finer things in life? He tested him by not giving him three meals a day, but just two, one in the morning and one in the evening. They were scheduled meals, one in the morning and one in the evening. He couldn't choose what time he would eat. He couldn't go to the fridge and open it up and take a snack at will. His meals also did not have much variety, bread and flesh for every meal. And then he was looking at a brook, not a river, not a lake, a brook, knowing that because there was a famine, that that brook would eventually dry out and he could die of thirst. The point is, Elijah learned to depend on God. He also learned through the fowl. Not just the famine, but the fowl. He was fed by ravens. Ravens. An unclean bird. A nasty bird. A scavenger. We get the ugly word ravenous from this animal. And a raven would rather eat the eyeballs out of a person's head than be their personal waiter like these ravens did. They would like to tear and chew dead flesh. That's who fed God's man. He learned humility. He also was taught dependence on God by a female. What's a widow in the middle of a famine going to be able to do to sustain God's servant? Matthew Henry said, surely because he would show that he has a variety of ways to provide for his people and is not tied to anyone. Here's the point. God prepared Elijah before he was called upon to help the widow. His preparation was complete. And the widow, if you read the context, the widow had not taken into consideration that Elijah had been proven before the crisis. Parents, our teachers at Fairhaven Baptist Academy are not perfect. But 
They've taken the time to prepare themselves to depend on God. They have been proven or they wouldn't have a job here. And in this day and age where husbands and wives both work full-time jobs, and in many cases make upwards of fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a piece, our teachers here, our servant Elijahs are hiding at the brook in a time of, of famine. We would say financially in America's history, when there's not as much rain in the land and God took good care of Elijah and he's taking good care of our teachers. But compared to the hand over fist money making mentality of the world, they, like Elijah, have learned to live without some of the finer things in life. And we ought to appreciate them for that. There's not a school in the world like this school. And those teachers have been trained and have given their life to God. Don't treat those teachers like they're public school teachers just trying to earn a paycheck. They are proven servants of God who have been to the brook and have learned to depend on God. And we ought to consider ourselves privileged to have them under our children. I think of the public schools. I saw a little comparison between public schools and Christian schools. I just want to read a little bit of it for your consideration. Public schools, their purpose of education, to prepare citizens for a humanistic society that tolerates all lifestyles. A Christian school, to prepare citizens for the kingdom of God who are equipped to spread the gospel. The public schools, humanism. No values are absolute and no truth is real and final. But the content of education in a good Christian school is all of life is studied in submission to the word of God and its precepts. Listen to this. The teachers in the public schools, they have varied backgrounds. Some are Christian or some other religion, humanistic, maybe atheist, maybe gay, maybe straight. But the teachers in a good Christian school are born again, committed believers, seeking to model Christ before their students. And I praise God that's what I see here. Peers in the public schools come from varied religious backgrounds, often receiving little moral instruction or values at home or church. Is that who you want your kids hanging around? But in a Christian school, students from Christian homes who are there because their parents support Christian values, these teachers are in it for our kids. That's what they're in it for. So that one day they can say to us, see thy son live. Not only the proving, but secondly, I want us to look at the parent. The parent. This teacher, if you will, Elijah, is told to make an in-home visit like the teachers here do. And he goes to Zarephath, the city that belongeth to Zidon. This is outside of the borders of Israel. These are Gentile people here. And he comes to a widow woman who is very poor. This parent wasn't lazy. The Bible says she was out at the gate gathering sticks. No, she wasn't a lazy woman. She was a victim of circumstance. And there's a lesson there for us. Parents, regardless of your circumstance, you can work hard. And if all you do is gather sticks, be the best stick gatherer on the face of the earth. We see the sharing. 
Elijah asked for water. Now, can you hear her? It's a time of famine. Water's a scarce commodity at this time. Doesn't he realize that we're in a famine? Okay, I'll go get it. Then Elijah asked for a morsel of bread. That was the kicker. Preacher, we've barely got water. And you want a morsel of bread? I don't have any bread, just a little meal and a little oil. And we're going to eat it and die. What was that parent called upon to do in this instance? Share some of her meager resources with God's servant. And Elijah says, fear not. And she did it. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she did it. She didn't know it, but it was a wise investment that would prove itself in the end when she would be rewarded with a resurrected child. Listen, had she not supported God's servant, Elijah would have not been there when her son died. Perhaps you say, tuition, book fees, debts, this, that. Listen, as a parent, don't ever be afraid to share your meager resources in an investment that's just going to come back and help your children. I looked up the Catholic school in Chicago that's two blocks away from our church. And if I were going to uh, be the stupidest man on earth and pull my daughter out of this school and put her as a first grader in St. Thomas the Apostle, it would cost $600 a month. $600 a month. I checked on it today. I have seen, listen, I have seen Catholic school students that, 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 that didn't even know how to read in the fifth or fourth grade. I've seen it. Then there's the University of Chicago Lab School. That's about three blocks from our church. And if we were going to put a child in that school, that's where Barack Obama's kids went before he left to go to the White House. Nursery through fifth grade. I'm just going to quote the, the price and the description that comes with the price for nursery through fifth grade. This is what they say before they hit you with the fee. Some fees are included in the tuition figure. Fees cover snacks. Classroom materials, activities, gym, high school publications, college placement materials, yearly camps and retreats, and graduation as appropriate by grade level. What a deal. What's it cost for a nursery through fifth grader per year, $26,310? Or you could send them to a public school and save some money. But violence in the public schools used to mean some spitwats. Violence in the public school used to mean uh, some paper thrown on the floor or kids running in the halls. Now they've got mandatory metal detectors and free contraceptives. My kids are bad enough in the Christian school. They destroy themselves inside one half hour if I put them in a public school. When Elijah told her that he should eat first, notice the widow didn't say, kids first. Kids first. Yet that's what screamed today. Elijah must not have known about that kids first thing. 
Remember Nabal the fool asking about David, shall I take my meat and my oil and give it to one that I know not whence he is? That's probably how the widow felt. Listen, when you pay that tuition or whatever you pay, you're not throwing money in the wind. You're casting your bread upon the waters. And if you do what's right, and if the school stays on track, you will receive that bread after many days, not just in your cupboards, but in your children. I find it exciting that the widow shared with God's servant and she ate better than she did before he came. Because we see in verse 16, the supplying, would you look there with me? And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Every time she'd reach in, there'd be another handful of meal. It'd be there. Every time she tipped that cruise of oil, Some would pour out. God didn't give it to her all at once. I I thought about that. Uh, Why didn't God give it to her all at once and really show his might and power? Well, you got to remember they're living in a day of famine. And as soon as the neighbors hear that there's uh, food at the widow's house, they probably beat her up or kill her. And God gave it to her little by little, taking care of her. And God will take care of you, parents, and prove himself mighty in your life. Then we come thirdly to the peril. The widow probably thought things were going great. Plenty of food on the table. Enjoying God's blessings. Eating as much as they wanted in the midst of famine. And then sickness came. Sickness. The child gets sick and dies. And who did she blame when her child died? God's servant. Look at verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Parents today still play the part of the widow. Why is it so natural to blame God's servants? Why did that teacher give my daughter that demerit? Doesn't that teacher know my situation's different? Why did they suspend my son? They're just picking on my kids. They're prejudiced at Fairhaven. You're about as mature as your student is. That teacher's so nice to so-and-so's kid. That widow could blame all she wanted, but the truth is, is her son was still dead. And you can blame these people that try to help your kids all you want. Your child will just stay dead. Not only do we see the sickness, but we see the seclusion. Elijah took the dead child out of her bosom. Look at verse 19. And he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. Maybe in grief she held on to that corpse tightly. And Elijah had to tug a little bit to free him away. But I like this. He took the child away from his mother. He basically said, Mama... Let go. And mamas need to let go. The prophet took the dead child from mama, went up to his loft, and laid the child on his own bed. I don't know the reason why Elijah wanted this seclusion. The scriptures are silent. But I do know this. Children need that time away from mama if they're going to live. I don't care how smart you are. Your homeschooling won't compare to Fairhaven Baptist Academy. I'm sorry. 
Some have to homeschool, and I believe God gives special grace. But 99% of the parents that try it are going to be too soft on their kids. You see, I need those calls from Mrs. Brader. Lois was bad again. I need them. You better be grateful for a school that will take them out of mama's bosom. Now, it's the parents' responsibility, but the school's here to help. So let's let them. The proving, the parent, the peril, and then fourth, I want us to see the prayer. Elijah had a real prayer meeting for the life of this child. Look at verse number 20. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. How many of you parents at one time sent your children to a public school? Raise your hand. You put your hands down. How many of those teachers do you think spent time on their knees praying for your children? Here we have God's servant praying for this child. Elijah specifically prayed for the child's soul to come back into him. Not one time up until this point had Elijah ever seen this happen or had heard of a dead person raising. Elijah had no precedence to base this request on. All he had was a divine impulse to pray for the child. And I'm glad that there are some people here that have that divine impulse to pray for my child. I believe my teachers pray for my children. The pastor of this church. The principal. They pray for our children, and you ought to appreciate that. You should speak of them and to them in such an appreciative way because they're taking your child to the throne. The proving, the parent, the peril, the prayer, and last, I want us to see the power. Look at verse number 22. This is exciting. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, thy son liveth. If I were a betting man, I'm sure when this woman saw her son, she could not believe her eyes. It was a miracle. But is that any less miracle than our children standing at the wedding altar pure? Is it any less miracle than for them to have a heart for lost souls? Is it any less a miracle for them to have the type of heart that they would die for the faith? I don't think so. By God's power, Elijah was able to say in the end, See, thy son liveth. Will we as parents hear that someday? The word Zarephath literally means refinement or the place of smelting metals. A place of refinement. I praise God for this school that can be a Zarephath for our children.